United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. I don't really want to get into speculation about what they're doing. The particular site in question uh, has two facilities. There's one that uh, Kim Jong-un had told us earlier that he would dismantle. This is the static engine test site. Uh, There's also a launch site there that he promised to give up uh, to uh, Moon Jae-in, the president of South Korea. So it's actually two different parts of the same facility. That is the National Security Advisor John Bolton on ABC's This Week discussing a rebuilding, if you will, of some facilities by North Korea. This after a summit in Hanoi, which didn't yield an agreement, although some people thought maybe there should. Let's get some more perspective on this with Patricia Kim, Ph.D., uh, senior policy analyst with the China program at the United States Institute of Peace, the Twitter handle at USIP. Dr. Kim, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to join you. What was your reaction to the summit? Uh, the, the, you know, the, the take from the administration was that, well, a bad deal, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. Were you disappointed? Were you pleased? How would you characterize that summit? Well, I think I would say that a no deal is certainly better than a bad deal, um, but it's unclear where we go from here. And I would start by saying that the breakdown of, of the summit at Hanoi was shocking to most experts given that most of the speculation before the summit had focused on what would be in the deal, not on whether one would be signed. Um, And there's still some confusion as to what exactly happened, but the bottom line is the summit broke down because North Koreans wanted all of the sanctions imposed on them since 2016 lifted in return for dismantling the Yongbyon nuclear complex, which is a significant part of their nuclear program, but it's certainly not the full extent of it. And the Trump administration was basically unwilling to strike such a deal because they believed it wasn't enough for lifting what makes up the crux of the economic pressure campaign against North Korea. Now, I think the unfortunate news is that after the breakdown at Hanoi, negotiations are likely to become difficult going forward. And I think this is for two reasons. First, The failed summit is likely to strengthen hardliners in Pyongyang who have been uncomfortable with Kim's strategic pivot towards economic development and outreach to the outside world. And so now they can point to what happened at Hanoi to reinforce the argument that, you know, regardless of President Trump's friendship with Kim Jong-un, the United States and other powers shouldn't be trusted. And I think Kim will also be constrained by his own words. So it was only two months ago that he declared in his New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's address that if the United States continued to impose sanctions and test his country's patience, he would find another way to protect his country's interests. So having made such a vow to his people and after being burned in Hanoi, I think Kim will find it um, politically difficult to return to the negotiating table with a moderated position. I'm interested in what you just said, in part because we've we've often thought about the key players here, obviously, what happens in D.C. and Seoul, South Korea and and China, Beijing. You know, we've got to wonder where they are. But it sounds like you're saying that there is some pressure on Kim Jong-un from within North Korea, whether it's other members of his, I don't know if you'd call it a team or not, but those who serve him as well as the people of North Korea. Does he feel that pressure? Is that I kind of thought he had his own way with things. Give us a better insight into that. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think like in any country, there are always going to be people who are sort of pro-reform and looking for a different or new way to do things. And there are going to be people who uh, who tend to sort of fall back to the default and say, no, we shouldn't open up. And so 
Kim has made a lot of promises since he's come to power. You know, he said, I'm going to bring about economic reform. I'm going to bring about prosperity. And one of the ways I'm going to do this is to set aside our nuclear program, which he says is completed and open up to the outside world. And not everyone is going to be happy with that. Um, And it's hard to tell exactly what's going on inside the state, given how closed it is. Um, But, you know, there are going to be folks in the military, for instance, who are not happy with, um, you know, Kim declaring that he's now willing to sit down with the United States, which has always been billed as this great enemy um, that exists and and, um, that North Korea has to prepare against. So, you know, I think there are always going to be hardliners and people who are looking to do different things in a country. And he's definitely going to be facing pressure from these hardliners. Is it your sense that the United States has a united front when it comes to what our expectations are? There have been some questions about whether total denuclearization of the North is the actual goal. There had been some signals that maybe it wasn't quite that way. Although what Mr. Bolton said is that uh, the president walked away from a deal because Kim Jong-un wanted some temporary sanctions relief and therefore they would give something in return. The president didn't want to do any of that. Is is there a, a cohesive strategy, do you think, from the U.S. right now? Right. So I think there's been some mixed signaling over the days. Um, so before going into the summit, it seemed like the White House was open to some sort of phased denuclearization or a step-by-step approach. And then after the summit, we've seen some commentary by high-level officials that indicate actually, you know, the, the White House is not open to a phased, uh, a step-by-step approach, but rather it wants, you know, full denuclearization for full sanctions relief. And I'm not really sure exactly uh, where the administration is and how it'll come out later on. And so I think we're going to have to to watch and see what comes out at the working level negotiations going forward. And on that working level, who's going to be the person you think, the point person, and what what can they work on that can at some point lead to, if, if another summit is even possible or desirable, what can they at least be working on that would be substantive? Right. Um, so... Like I said, I think negotiations will become difficult going forward because Kim has basically lost faith and both sides are pretty much, you know, at this point where they're wondering what's next. Um, from what I understand, working level negotiations have not a, a date or time hasn't been set for those negotiations. Um, but if they were to happen, I think two priority items should include hammering out a clearly defined and time bound roadmap that ends with the denuclearization of North Korea, even if this end state is set many years from now. And I think having this concrete deadline is imperative because it reassures U.S. allies that North Korea will not be allowed to remain a de facto nuclear power indefinitely. And, um, and it's also very important for upholding global nonproliferation norms. And second, we would hope that a working level negotiation could work on some sort of institutionalized mechanism so that if and when future negotiations do stall or fail, there's some sort of normalized and face-saving way that all the parties can return back to the negotiating table. And although there are separate issues, the United States and China have been at loggerheads, although there seems to be some more optimism that maybe some agreement can be made on tariffs. And I wonder if that means that China should be reintroduced in a more aggressive way into these discussions with North Korea. Uh, so I would say there, this certainly China has a role to play, and I think it could do more to, to, to contribute in boosting momentum for the negotiations. China has largely been staying on the sidelines, and I think this is partly because Beijing has been very consumed with the U.S.-China trade war 
and focused on combating domestic risks that it's dealing with at home. And another reason is because China has been largely looking to South Korea and President Moon Jae-in to do a lot of the heavy lifting and bridging the gap and sustaining momentum for diplomacy. So at this point, I think, you know, China should definitely be working to make it clear to North Korea that keeping its nuclear weapons is not an option um, and to send the message that that no one, including China, will support North Korea's indefinite de facto nuclear power uh, status. And there are a range of things that China can do to send this message. So on one end of the spectrum, it could use all of its diplomatic channels from all of the party-to-party channels that it has to the highest levels between Xi and Kim. Um, It could start to tighten the enforcement of existing sanctions. And finally, and perhaps we don't want it to go here yet, but another move it could take is um, uh, starting to impose unilateral measures like slowing down or cutting off oil exports to North Korea like it did in 2003, which really makes the North Koreans pay attention and and it certainly hurts the regime as well. Um, So I think the messaging from D.C. to Beijing needs to be that China should lean in it should use its influence with North Korea to push it in the right, right direction because this is ultimately in China's long-term interest to stabilize its neighborhood. And I think this is an increasingly rare opportunity to build confidence between the United States and China in a true era, area of common interest. Dr. Kim, thank you for joining us on POTUS this morning. Thank you. That is Patricia Kim, Ph.D., a senior policy analyst with the China program at the United States Institute of Peace. The latest developments, the United States and North Korea post-Hanoi summit and some developments that have taken place, including the rebuilding, it appears, of some missile sites in North Korea. Her thoughts being expressed this morning, and the Twitter handle is at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.